Isaiah chapter number 9, Isaiah 9. So excited that you're here today, and I want to start out the sermon with a show of hands. This is survey by show of hands. Are you ready? Who thinks Christmas music should not be played in the car, in the house, or anywhere until after Thanksgiving? Show of hands. There, some of you are passionate. I saw like, okay, how, how many thinks that that's a dumb rule? Who likes Christmas music? Okay, these are the psychos. These are the crazy people. Look around. Who thinks Christmas music should be played in July? Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Some of you maniacs are playing Christmas in July. That's, that's crazy. There's somebody in my house, and I'm going to leave them unnamed because I'm always getting accused of bringing up my family in without permission in, into what we do here. So I'm not going to say this person's name, but this person is obsessed with Christmas tradition. This person has been listening to, listening to Christmas music in my home since October. October, people. Would you write that down in prayer request? Pray for me. I'm, I'm in month number three of Christmas Music, no, but all seriousness, uh, Christmas is awesome. Didn't the choir do good today? And next week, yeah, amen. Next week, we're going to have a bunch of choir music. It's going to be really, really good. And, and uh, there are invites uh, in your, uh, all over the place. Grab one and invite somebody. But uh, this person I'm talking about also bought a Christmas sweater in October, and she's wearing it every other day. And so it's just ridiculous. Um, I think it's clean most of the time. So just pray for, pray for her. But at the same time as all of that, I get, I get it. Uh, it's a great time of year. Who doesn't love Christmas other than Scrooge and the Grinch? I mean, other than them, we all love Christmas. It's this incredible time of year. And um, if you ask people what they love about Christmas, they're going to say things like, what do you love? And my, my, I asked Zeke last night. I'm bringing him up. Oh, well. Um, he, I asked, what do you love about Christmas, buddy? And he said, I love the gifts. And I said, and he likes getting gifts. He doesn't like giving. He likes getting gifts, which is like every seven-year-old boy should say that. And then I said, what else do you like about it? Other than the gifts, he's like, God. I'm like, okay, good. That's good. We're going to talk about God at Christmas. That's very cool. But you ask people what they love, Christmas gifts, Christmas lights, Christmas trees, stocking, the music, all those things are wonderful parts of the celebration. I love coming in and seeing everything decorated and, and it's an amazing thing. But there's so much, and there's so much that's special about this season, but what's most special, and it's almost cliche to say this, you almost hear this every year, what's most special about Christmas is not all of those trappings and all of the, all of the family and all of the decorations and the music. Um, that, those, are, those are good things. They're good gifts from a good God who loves us and we're grateful for that. And I'm glad we have that still in our culture because even as godless as our culture is becoming, it gives us an opportunity to speak about Christ into the culture. You guys agree with that? People are likely this time of year to, more likely to come to church than at any time. And so I, I see that the next few weeks as opportunities for us to reach out to people and so we want you to do that. But what's most special about the season is not all of those trappings. What's most important 
is the real history of what happened at Christmas and what it means for us today because Christmas is about Jesus Christ. Christmas is about Christ. It's about when Christ was born and really it was, it's about why he was born. Why was he born? Well, it's summed up in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a, there's a sermon there, isn't there? The greatest giver is God. The greatest gift was Jesus. And it was for everybody. It is for everybody. And if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. That is the point of why Christ came. It's my goal today to help you not to be so enthralled with all of the trappings of Christmas that you miss the best part. Christmas points to the fact that Jesus came, but it also points, and this is the fun part. Are you guys ready to have fun in church? You're like, I don't think your sermon's going to be fun. Okay, well, we're going to make it fun, okay? I think it's going to be fun because it's a, we have an incredible book to study. And, and this thing is alive, and it means something for our future. Who agrees the world's messed up? It's getting more messed up. Has anybody noticed that? It's getting... I'm dealing with things as a pastor that my dad never dealt with before. You're dealing with things as a parent that you never thought you'd have to deal with. You're guarding your kids from things you never thought you'd have to guard your kids from. And things are going crazy in the world. And you know what it proves? It proves exactly what Jesus said is going to happen will happen. Christmas points to the fact that Jesus came, but it also points to the fact, and here's the fun part, he's coming back. He's coming again. He's coming again. You're like, you're crazy. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. He's coming back. He's coming back. Throughout the ages, God shaped history and periodically revealed more and more about the coming deliverer. God spoke through the prophets we've been studying in Hebrews, where it says that God uh, in times past spoken to us in the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us through his son by whom he also made the worlds. It's an amazing thing. He's spoken to us through his son. He narrowed the possible families that the deliverer would come through to the descendants of Abraham. And then he narrowed it through his son Isaac and then eventually through David. And so there's an Abrahamic promise that was made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob that in in the people of Israel, all the nations of earth would be blessed and they would be blessed because Jesus came through them. It's also what God told about the Messiah. There's all kinds of prophecy. There's some of that prophecy. There's also Micah 5, 2 that tells us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. House of bread, that's what Bethlehem means. The house of bread, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Jesus is, Jesus is the bread of life. Some of you believe that. Cool. Um, Jesus is the bread of life. I, uh, Zechariah 12, 10 says that when the deliverer is coming, he's going to get pierced. Isaiah 53 tells about this suffering servant that would bear our sins and, and that he would be dead and then he would be in a grave, but then he would be buried with the rich in his death, but then he'd raise up again. He'd see his seed and prolong his days. That's what the Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53. There are so many prophecies about Jesus. 
things that were told about his first coming before he came that were fulfilled in his first coming. And we can be sure that the things that are said about the second coming will happen because Jesus fulfilled all the things that are going to happen. He fulfilled all the things he said would happen in the first coming. We have a reason to believe this book. And that is true. You, you do. And we got to get this message to everybody. There are so many prophecies about Jesus, but today we're going to look at one, just one, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. If you have your Bibles turned there, this probably won't be on the screen, but I want you to go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, and it's going to kind of lead us up into this particular, this particular prophecy. 9-2, the people that walked in darkness... Darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy because thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou hast broke the yoke of his burden and the staff is his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in Blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Here it is. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon the, his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God, thank you for your first coming. Thank you for sending your son to us. And God, we look forward to his second coming. May we live in light of that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to be filled with awe of Jesus this Christmas. And I don't want you to be so focused on this particular next couple of weeks and the family and the trappings of all of that that you miss the best part. We have a king who came and we have a king who's coming again. And I want you to see three traits of, of this king of Christmas and king of eternity. First thing I want you to see today is the position of the king. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. You see two things said about this coming deliverer, this coming king. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is not two people, this is one person. In this text, it's foretold that there's a deliverer of Israel that's coming, a Messiah to do some amazing things. And we see in this text, in these two things, the child that's born and the son that's given, you see two parts. You see the position of this king. You see his humanity. This coming deliverer would be born. Now, I want you to know this is something that we think of as History, because we, how many of you guys have celebrated Christmas just about every year of your life? How many of you guys have ever heard this verse at Christmas? Okay, less. How many of you, let's raise our hands, 
participate. How many of you guys have heard this verse at Christmas time before? Okay, that's almost everybody, right? You, have you heard it sung? More on that later, okay. When we think of Jesus in the manger and we think of the, of the nativity and all that, we think about this child that's born. But you gotta remember, Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. Hundreds of years before Jesus came. And he said that this one that's coming is going to be a child that's born. But then of all the other things it says about it, it talks about him as God. We're going to see that in the verse. We see a child is born, but you also see a son that's given. When you see a newborn baby, what do you, what do you think about? Do, do you think about power and strength and majesty when you look at a newborn baby? Most of you don't. You think of small, cute most of the time, <laughs> helpless, right? Life that needs everything from somebody else. We seldom think of power when we look at a baby, right? They are so vulnerable. They're so small. And we ought to value and protect all human life. And this was affirmed by God when he came to our world in the way he did. He became a child and was delivered through a mother's womb. I think that's interesting, don't you? Think about how incredible it was for the second person of the Trinity to become a man and be born of a woman. John tells us in chapter one of John, in the beginning was the word. He later says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that. The infinite became weak. The majestic became humble. The creator became like his creation. One writer put it this way. The infinite, eternal, self-sustaining being who created every atom in the universe and put them in all their places became dependent on the nourishment of a mother's breast and the warmth of her loving touch. As a child, the eternal son was in a state of submission to the will of the Father in heaven and also to the guidance and rule of his parents on earth. Jesus, the creator God, became a man. But not just a man. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He never gave up his divinity. We also see that a son is given. We see his divinity Jesus didn't become the Son of God when he was made flesh at his incarnation. He is eternally the Son of God. Jesus didn't start to exist at Christmas. Jesus existed before Christmas. Do you get it? He, he existed before the foundation of the world. How do you know that, Pastor Ben? Well, we see that the Father sent the Son. John 8, 18 says, I am one that bear witness of myself and the father that sent me beareth witness of me. John three sixteen says it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That points to his preexistence. John chapter 20, verse 21. If I could move my notes. says, then said Jesus unto them again, peace be unto you as the father hath sent me, so send I you, Right? 
It was his decision to obey his father and to come to earth. His attitude in that humility is a call to action for us. In fact, that's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. What does that mean? He didn't come as this powerful king that everybody knew about. He came and, I mean, we, we celebrate this at Christmas. Who, who welcomed him at his coming? Shepherds. He was, he was delivered in a stable, right? It's an amazing thing. He made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found and fashioned as a man. Even as a man, he humbled himself. How did he? He became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. That, that particular passage is called the great descent. He came from heaven, became flesh, became a servant, gave his life to death. What kind of death? Even death on a cross. We see this position of this king. He is both human and divine. He's going to deliver we also see here some names of the king. If you look back at 9.6, it says, unto us the son is given. It talks about the government being on his shoulder. More on that light in a second. Stick with me. And then it says this, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, from the perspective of Isaiah and of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah saw no distinction between the deliverer's first coming, this Messiah's first coming, and his second coming, okay? They're there when you look at them now. They're prophesying things they don't even totally understand. You understand that, right? The prophet's role is this, thus says the Lord, he's just delivering the message, and sometimes they don't even understand all the implications of the things that they were saying, Right? Does that make sense? Here he says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's why so many of the disciples themselves, they, they thought Jesus is here. He, the Messiah is here. That's why they're asking, hey, we want to be on the right hand. and We want to be at your throne. Could you make us in charge? I want to be over fishing. That part didn't happen. But you get, make me over this. Make me over that. Why? Because he's a coming king. And by the way, he is a coming king. But they didn't see between, it was invisible. There's two mountains, his first coming and his second coming. They thought it was the same range, but it's two different things. There's distance between them. They didn't see the church. That's why, that's why Paul says, I want to tell you about a mystery. And he talked about the church, right? In Ephesians chapter five, he says, I speak to you a mystery, Christ in the church. I'm talking about husbands and wives, but this is a picture of Christ in the church. What is he saying? This thing that the Old Testament prophets didn't know about the church. They didn't know about that. They didn't understand it. You see times where this coming one described as a suffering servant, like in Isaiah 53. You see him as a child being born, but then you also see him being called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And you hear him talking about his government and him being on a throne and his government having no end. More on that in a minute. But what about these names? Well, we see four names expressed here. You may say, well, Pastor Ben, I see five names. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's five. They seem to be in two, two word sections in Hebrew. 
and wonderful counselor seems to be one particular name. It could be translated a wonder of a counselor. That would be another way of saying it. You see two words names, and, and that's what you see in Jesus here. Christ never sought the counsel of any man. And he never asked the advice of any man. Romans 11.34 says this, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Does God need advice from us? Do you ever pray and give God advice? I do that sometimes. God, I need this done. And if you could do it this way, that would be awesome. Right? You ever been there? God doesn't need our advice. I don't think it's wrong to have that kind of relationship with God, but I think we ought to be humble, don't you? God, you're going to do what you want. I want to be in line with what you're doing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has no counselor. Jesus was an incredible counselor. You guys remember that? And now he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us and to guide us into all truth. The Bible says in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Here it is, saying this to the disciples, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. If you want counsel, man, I can tell you this. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Everything you need for life and godliness is right here. He is a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit's the same one that wrote this book. And when you get into here, you get into the mind. We get to thank God's thoughts after him. And he has an opinion on how we ought to live our lives. I thought I'd get more. That's good stuff. Amen? Thanks. I, okay. Um, he's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. The word here, El Gabor, he is the one to whom all power is given. He is the mighty God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. This Jesus is the mighty God. This son that's given, this child that's born is God. He's God. Hebrews 1.8 says that God says to his son, under the sun, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Father God says to Son, who's God, your throne's forever. Your throne is forever. He's the everlasting Father. The word is aviad, the Father of eternity. Some people say, well, if it's the Son, how is it the Father? Well, there's kind of two ways to think about it. One way to think about it is sometimes the word for father is, is used even of a king or someone that's ahead of something, someone who's taking over, and they would use that even of kings to say that he's going to be an everlasting, an everlasting care. Fathers ought to take care of their kids. You agree with that? Fathers ought to protect their kids. And so there's some saying it's like a, a generic kind of term for the kind of king that this king would be over his people but I don't think it's hard to think of this in the Trinitarian way. This isn't, the Son is also the Father? Are, yeah. How many gods are there? There's three persons. Now, how, you want me to explain it? I can't. But Jesus did. Jesus did. This everlasting Father, it can mean that 
We'll talk about how he did in a second. It, it can mean that he's the creator of all things, and we know that he is. John 1.3 says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who created the world? Well, Paul said in Colossians through the Holy Spirit that about Jesus, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is the creator of the world? He is. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, that he has spoken unto us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, the ages. In John 10, Jesus said this about him and the father. He says, John 10, 30, I and the father are one. He said to Philip in John 14, Philip said, show us the father. And Jesus said to Philip, have you been long time with you? Have you been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how says then, show us the Father. He is the everlasting Father. He's also the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Sar Shalohim. What do the angels say in chorus? To the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. John 14, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world give, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Philippians chapter 4 is some of the most practical teaching on peace. The, uh, this time of year, I don't know if you realize it, but this time of year is a very difficult time of year for people because they're, when expectations are high, sometimes expectations aren't met. For some people, this is going to be the first year where that parent, that grandparent, they're not there at the tree getting gifts. There, there, there are times where maybe it's been years. Maybe there are people that are alone on Christmas day, and that can be very difficult. Of course, there are people that are even thinking, maybe this will be my last Christmas. And I want you to know that the Bible says that even people that have those kinds of difficulties, you can have peace. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me just give this to you practically. Have you ever, you know what worry is? Anybody here been worried? Okay. Worry can be the rehashing over and over again of a loop that you can't close. 
we usually see that as what if. Anybody ever have a what if? Does that ever happen? What if this happens? Well, then if that happens, then she says, and then he does. And that's how I lost my car. You know, <laughs> you ever have that, right? Some of you, I'm describing your whole week last week. Just that constant rehashing of what could happen. And when we're doing that, when we worry, it's a meditation on all the problems. And what, what Paul says in Philippians is don't be anxious. Don't worry. Stop that loop. It's not, okay. it's not wrong to be concerned, but if all you do is just focus on that over and over again, that's stupid. Don't do that. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. The, the word there is proskeo. It's, it's a worshipful prayer. With thanks, by prayer, with thanksgiving. What's thanksgiving? It's, it's rehashing what God's already done for you. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So when you're giving God thanks, you're saying, God, you, I'm, I'm, first God, I'm going to give you my requests. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship you, proskeo. I'm going to worship you because you're so big and you're so in charge and you're, you're God and I'm not. And I'm, I need to be face down to this God who can do anything. I'm thanking you for everything you've given to me. Let your request, it says, be, be, be made known to God. Your supplications, it says. God, supplication means supply. God's going to supply. With thanksgiving, supplication. And then it says, let your request be made known to God. God wants, to, God wants us to ask. And then it says this. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. I used to think, and I've told you this before, I used to think, that that verse, when it says that passes understanding, it's like, oh, the, the peace is like, I can't understand it. It's just this mystical thing that God gives to you. But I think that's not what he's saying. I think what he's saying is the peace of God, which goes beyond our, un what you're doing when you're worrying, when you're asking what if, have you ever noticed the what if never has an answer? And a lot of times the what if never happens. Anybody ever have that go on? He said, what you're trying to do by trying to control that worry by thinking, that's stupid. Go to the one who's in control. And, and consider the fact that he's worthy of worship, that he's worthy of thanks, that he can do anything. And when you get the peace of God as you've gone to him in prayer, when he gives you that peace, that's so much better than you figuring it out. That's what it means by passing understanding. It's so, you're not going to figure it out. Instead, get peace from God. And what does the peace of God do? It will keep, it will stand guard over your hearts and your minds. How? In Christ Jesus. And then he says, I'm preaching a whole nother sermon. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he says, what sort of things are true and lovely, pure, honest, just, of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You gotta think about something. Think on what's true. Get rid of the worry, that's stupid. If you have concerns, take them to the Lord. Big worry, big prayer. More worry, more prayer. More prayer, more peace. I prayed and it didn't work. Keep praying. I prayed and it didn't work. Maybe you're still thinking wrong. Whatsoever things are true. And then it says, when you do think that way, it says this at the end. And the God of peace shall be 
with you. It's one thing to get the peace of God. It's another thing to have the God of peace. And Jesus Christ is our prince of peace. That wasn't in the notes at all. Colossians 1.20 says this, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, to him, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, there can be no peace. I want you to hear this today. There can be no full and final peace on this earth until Jesus Christ is reigning. That's exactly what's going to happen. We see next this last thing, the destiny of the king. We saw the position of the king. He is both human and divine. We've seen the names of the king, almighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. Now we see the destiny of this king. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Another way of phrasing this would be, dominion has come to be on his shoulder. In most occurrences, a burden is placed on the shoulder. The idea is that the right and the stewardship of governing or ruling will be on this delivered son. And he's going to do fine. He's going to be a benevolent dictator. And he's going to be better than anybody we got now by far. It says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. His government's not going to be static. It's going to increase and it's going to grow. This is talking about the time of the millennium. Man, I could go a long time, and you guys are all thinking about lunch, and I get it. So I'm not going to do that. But there is nothing left that needs to be done for Jesus to come back and rapture his church. That's the next thing that's going to happen. And Jesus said, hey, you know how to tell the seasons by seeing the skies. If you can interpret the sky, you should be able to interpret the season. We don't know the time, but we can see the seasons. I believe Jesus could come back any day in his rapture. But then there's going to be a tribulation period. It's Daniel's 70th week. It's called the Great Tribulation. In the second half of it, I believe that we are not going to be here for that. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you get saved in the church age, God's going to go from dealing with his church back to dealing with Israel. If you want to get coffee and talk about that, I'll, I'd love to do that. I might even do that as my next series after Hebrews is done. When it says that he's going to be on a throne and he's going to have no end to that throne, it's going to be the throne of David. By the way, God promised uh, someone on the throne of David forever to sit on the throne of David. You have to be human. To do it forever, you got to be God. Jesus is the only one that can do it. And so you see here, that God does this. It will seem in that great tribulation time as if all is lost, but then just at the right moment, something's gonna happen. 
It's found in Revelation chapter 19, and it says this, and I saw heaven open. This is John seeing what's gonna happen in the future. And behold, a white horse. When Jesus came, the first time he came on the, on the donkey, coming into the, coming into, and Hosanna, save us now, we pray. That's what they did. The next time he comes, he comes on a horse to make war. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And this is Jesus. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a gesture dipped in blood. Is that different than Christmas? And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which, is, which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that it, with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. God made the world with his word. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God said, at the end, he's going to take it over with his word. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to destroy his enemies. In Hebrews it says that God the Father will make Christ's enemies his footstool. And he shall rule them, Revelation 2, 27 says, with a rod of iron as the vessels of potter shall be broken to shivers even as I received of my father. And then Jesus will rule on the throne of David forever. It says in Micah 4, 3, there's another prophecy about what's gonna happen at the end. He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off and they shall beat their swords. This is gonna be so awesome. This is what the millennium is gonna be like and into, the, and into eternity. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There's no more need for a war because the last war has been fought. Jesus has won. Who's into that? Why do you want war to stop? Because people are killing each other. Did you hear that quote recently? I want people to stop dying. In the end, he's going to make war end. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. This is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and he shall reign for. I chose the wrong key. And he shall reign forever and ever. If during this sermon, your mind has gone to the symphonic strings and classical choirs singing, for unto us a child is born. How many of you have heard that before? Unto us a son is given, and he shall reign forever and ever. You're thinking of Handel's Messiah. Have you guys ever listened to that? It's an unbelievable work of art. And when done by the right orchestra and the right choir, it can be an amazing, incredible experience. The most famous part of Handel's Messiah is the Hallelujah Chorus. 
And the tradition is that when the hallelujah, hallelujah chorus plays, what happens? Yeah, the audience stands. Why is that? Well, the most accepted reason is that King George II stood up during that chorus at Messiah's 1743 London premiere. Some believe the king was so moved by the music that he stood up to show his reverence and since it was considered good etiquette to stand when the king stood, the audience had to follow suit. Since then, that's what, that's what happens. Handel's Messiah quotes Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I'm, I'm way off key, Don, sorry. <laughs> the government shall be upon his shoulder. Right? And then it says, hallelujah, king of kings. Yeah, you got it. Forever and ever. And Lord of lords, king of kings. I'm not going to do the whole thing for you. <laughs> Search it on YouTube, right? And he shall reign forever and ever. Loved ones, this is what I want you to know. The child born to us, the son that's given to us, Handel got it right. He is the king of kings and lord of lords of Revelation 19. The child that was born and the son that was given is the one who is going to govern. And his government will grow and increase and war will be over. And he shall reign forever. When a king hears that and he stands up, it reminds me of a day where there's going to be kings that can't stand. They're going to have to kneel. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, loved one, you can do it now in faith, bowing the knee and recognizing him as Lord, willingly and receive eternal life and be made sons and daughters of God and co-heirs and join heirs with Jesus Christ. You can do that now, willingly by faith. Or you can do it later in submission as a defeated foe. The choice is up to you. And he shall reign forever and ever. The bad news is your sin makes you the enemy of God. My sin made me the enemy of God. But God loves his enemies. And he sent Jesus, fully man, fully God. And this God-man died on the cross. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
This baby born in a manger lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for your sin so that you can be redeemed. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And he shall reign forever and ever. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?